Hello and welcome back to the Drift Proof Podcast, everyone. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Cipriano. And today, uh, I just want to throw out a quick reminder. This podcast is just supposed to give you different perspectives of people's lives and get a little bit psychological along the way. Uh, The whole goal of this podcast is to help people find more direction in their life. Like, I heard this person's doing this and uh, I saw this episode on journalism and that sounded pretty interesting. I'm going to look into that. Or this person was talking about polygamy. Oh my gosh, this person had an episode about anxiety. Um, Let's listen to that. Maybe there's something they said that would help me. So anything that's valuable in the mental health field or career field where I can help you hopefully get a little more um, goal setting and direction on your life, or at very least you can listen to other people who have similar experiences and issues and that is comforting just to know there's other people out there. So today's episode is with one of my best friends in the whole world. I've known him since literally 2000. His name is Mitchell Stencil. So to record this podcast, I went to Lansing, Michigan. Anybody isn't familiar, Lansing is where the capital is. It's just kind of a cool city. There's parts that aren't so nice, but there are parts that are nice. Uh, East Lansing is where Michigan State is. So it's about a five minute drive from him. Um, It was just kind of a cool area to record a podcast. It felt cool in his apartment. There's a cool view in the background of the capital city. So Mitchell works right now in a weed It's not a dispensary, it's a weed manufacturing plant, and then they sell um, two dispensaries. So he is a cultivator, and he actually just got promoted to a manager. Um, Mitch actually went to school for biology, got a four-year. He originally wanted to be a marine biologist, and then switched over a few times in different careers and fields, and he just had a wild life. He is totally one of those people that you get angry on social media for because he's always somewhere new with new people, you know, presents very well on social media. But we actually talk about that in the episode. So like anyone else, Mitch has shared in his fair deal of mental health issues. So we're going to talk about those, how they relate to his social media and social media in general. And then we're just going to touch on his jobs, where he's going in life, what he wants to do and how he sustains himself with enough meaning to not fall into depression and despair. As always, thank you guys so much for listening. This is an awesome episode. It's kind of a quick one. And at the very end, I want to apologize. So we had about five, 10 minutes left of talk about monogamy or polygamy. The sound quality was all messed up. I don't know why. So I erased it. And then I just kind of like recapped myself for the last two minutes or so. Um, so sorry about that. It'll be kind of a weird cut at the end of the episode, but you guys enjoy anyways. If you guys could give me any feedback, um, I've received not that much. I'm going to reiterate that at the end of the episode. So please like hit me up on Instagram at Drift Proof Podcast. I have a website, andrewcipriano.com, where I have some blog posts and stuff on there. I have a YouTube channel. Look at Andrew Cipriano. You'll find all my YouTube videos. Give me a shout out. Give me some feedback. Tell me what is helping you, what's not helping you, what I could do better. I would really appreciate that. All right. So I've asked you guys for enough now with no further ado. Episode 11, the Drift Proof Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Drift Proof Podcast, everyone. As always, I'm your host, Andrew, and today I have a very special guest on. His name is Mitchell Stencil. Would you like to say hello? Hello, everybody. I am very special. <laughs> a great way to start the podcast. So me and Mitch have known each other for about 20 years now. In 2000, uh, we moved in next to each other. Yes. And the rest is history. Our families have been very good friends ever since. Ancient family, some would say. Ancient, I some would say that. <laughs> um, so, me and Mitch are sitting in Lansing right now. If anyone doesn't know, that is the capital of Michigan. So, coming at you uh, from the capital, and we cannot see the capital building, <laughs> but it is on the other side of this building, and we will be rollerblading over to it in the, yes. about an hour after this. We can't see it, but our tax dollars can. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> ridiculous. So, what do you want to say today, just to kind of introduce yourself? What is interesting about you? What fun facts does Mitchell have? Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Mitchell Stencil, longtime listener and supporter <laughs> of Drift Proof <laughs> Podcast. Uh, we should put that on a sticker. Um, I am 24 years old, a recent bio grad so I have a bi- bachelor's in biology whoa all right what am I gonna do with that Not anything I don't know um I live in Lansing's first time living by myself which has been a very exciting ride um I work out here at a cannabis company which has been very exciting but a very long journey to get here um and like most of Andrew's friends, I am gay also. Yeah, I got a lot of those. Most of them, honestly. I know. You know where to put the bomb. <laughs> We're fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, I'm just going to start off by kind of asking, well, let's talk about growing up together a little bit. Yeah. So we didn't know, well, I didn't know Mitch was gay for very long. When did you come out? I was 18. Uh, I was 19, I Yeah, think. so we didn't grow up gay together. No, and which honestly I, I think was a little bit better. Yeah. I don't know. 
Right. So maybe don't drop that bomb just yet. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so we literally spent every day in the summer together, like literally next door neighbors and spent so much time. We had a great childhood, a big open backyard, and it was just nice. Amazing. Not like these kids these days. No, we've made up so many games, so many fun things, probably a lot a lot of our psychological distress now. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> a lot of my psychological trauma comes from exact that exact time frame. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so, okay. So I want to tell them, you work at a weed dispensary, but what was your plan growing up? Like, what did you do growing up that kind of set out your life to where you are now? Yeah, so um, I started off, I started my first job as a sophomore in high school when I was 16 years old working at Hungry Howie's. Um, was not an ideal job. I worked there for like two weeks and I was uh. like, I couldn't answer the phones and talk to people because they would order and then I would mess it up. And it was it was horrifying. So for anyone who doesn't know, Hungry Howie's is a pizza chain and that is so freaking stressful. I worked at the, I did the front desk at whatever one of those restaurants at a pizza place and it is so stressful. Yeah, was not, not a good time. So I quit that and then um, actually started working with Andrew at Great Lakes Athletic Club. We worked in the daycare and all the other things. Uh-huh. Um, so if anyone doesn't, or if anyone's listened to the episode with Megan, Kelly, and Casey O'Brien, so episode five and eight, we all worked together for a yes. while. Yes. Hi, Casey and Megan. If you listen to this, I listen to yours, so you should definitely listen to my podcast. <laughs> they, they're listening. Okay. I'm we hope. Tracking their phones. W- have, wait, we hope so. They have no idea. Everyone has been on this <laughs> podcast that practiced their phones. <laughs> um, so I worked there for like six years, um, and then... I graduated from college and started working at a gay bar in downtown Royal Oak, Michigan. Woo woo. Yeah. Um, that was great. I had, I mean, it was fun, you know, being groped by all these men. Okay. We're going to get back to that. <laughs> Non-flat how you just made. Let's go back. So, um, what is it? What was like your coming out kind of like? Cause I oh, okay. spent my whole life with you and I didn't really know you're gay. Probably till you're about 16. Just <laughs> really? Like, how was that? Cause Mitch has parents that are amazing, but they're kind of just, oh, they're very religious, so I think that was a lot of pressure he had that I didn't necessarily have that exact pressure. Uh, my parents are not that religious, so. Yeah, um, I mean, I grew up going to church every Sunday, doing all the all the good Catholic Christian things. I'm not sure what the difference is there, but I'm one of them. Or I, I used to be. I'm more spiritual now. Um, but yeah, honestly, my parents have always been really great, so I don't think that was what was so scary, other than just the whole stigma behind, um, you know, what we thought at the time being gay was and with all of that. So that was the majority of the reason why I just wasn't ready to come out, even though you had come out before me and I just, you know, I thought, okay, this is weird. Maybe um, that's something that I wasn't aware of before, and now that he is, it just kind of makes more sense and clicks in to, like, what I have going on in my life now. Yeah, I was just going to say there was probably something in the water growing up. Right. We must have. We shared a tap. <laughs> was that um, I call it limp wrist bacteria. <laughs> he spread it to me. You so. know what? He's got a four-year in biology, so I take him seriously, people. I do. Uh, uh, okay, so you came out, and then let's go back. Now we can jump to the gay bar thing, which you nonchalantly touched at. Yeah. Uh, I started as a bar back. I wanted to bartend because I thought that would be, like, such a fun thing to do at the time. Yeah, and, like, also with bartending, too, you can make a lot of money, especially if you are... A piece of ass and a yeah. Well, also, well, yeah. I mean, you can. Also, I well, I took a year. I wanted to take a year off after I graduated from high school because I literally worked since I was sixteen and gone to school for twenty years of my life. So I was like, you know what? I need to take a break. I want to take a year off and travel. And the easiest way to do that was work a bartending job and just you know kind of drift by for now and not worry about what I want. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was just it was it was the easy choice about you know you can make quick money. It's not a rigid schedule. You can work when you want and then you know you make quick money and you go and travel. And that was what I wanted. It was it worked. I went all over. I traveled to Europe. I traveled all over the United States. States. Um, it was amazing. I had a great time, but you know, obviously working at the bar wasn't what I wanted to do. So, um, I kind of just did that. Actually, I did it for a full year before I was like, all right, I need to start figuring out what I want to do. So what is a gay bar atmosphere like to anyone who doesn't know? Because you touched at old men touching you earlier. And I don't know <laughs> if that's the best way to leave off. That. Yeah. I mean, you know, it wasn't always the worst. Sometimes, sometimes they would like slip a 20 down your waistband and you're like, all right, that Wait, was- so it was actually like that. Yeah. Well, you guys were touching well, you. I mean, sometimes. Oh, I didn't know it was that forward. <laughs> they are. They, I mean, 
what else are you going to do? They was it like a, do you think there was any good role models in that environment at all ever? Uh, yeah, no, lots of, lots of good. Ro- I met a lot of amazing people. I mean, obviously in any community, even in the straight community, you have creeps all over. It's not just like, Oh, it's, it's cause, just cause we're surrounded by the gay community. That's what we're used to. We don't really know what happens out at like different, you know, bars and like straight the bars. Cis and clubs. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so I think just, I mean, it happens to girls all the time. They get groped by guys. It's, yeah. it's no different. Um, but yeah, I, it wasn't like, I met so many great people who have just lived out there and they were so kind to me and they would just talk to me about my future and like what I want to do. And they would give me advice. Um, and they were so sweet and they tipped very well. Yeah, so I worked, <laughs> I worked at that bar too, actually. Um, this is a year and a half ago and there were nice people. It just wasn't the environment. I, I didn't want to give people alcohol to make money. That didn't feel right to me. Yeah. Um, so what did you do after the bar? Um, so actually, one of the bartenders that I worked with, Andrew Schnichter, great guy, good friend. Yes, Andrew Schnichter bar. I will have him on one day. He's amazing. <laughs> um, he also worked for two of the patrons there who are also amazing men. Um, they were, or they, their company is a um, production company, and they put on a drag show um, and a plays. So I worked as a production assistant for them. We actually traveled on tour for like three months, living on a tour bus, going all over the United States, putting on this drag show for the um, some queens from RuPaul's Drag Race. So that was an amazing experience. I got to learn all about that, like you know, fast paced, living on the road, like. Bar, bar, club, plane, next plane, next party, no sleep. You got next. the drag snap going. <laughs> <laughs> Brought it right out of him. Um, so yeah, it was just a, it was a really, really, really great experience. So what did you learn from? Because a lot of people want to find a job where you can travel, and that's awesome. But what did you learn from that that you could take away and say, "I'm happy I spent my time doing that." Well, it was, so I'm also big into working out. So that my biggest struggle was just finding time to get the to get to the gym. A lot of my workouts. We're at 3 a.m. at a Planet Fitness because one of my other coworkers had a membership there or it was 3 a.m. at a hotel we were staying in because we just got there. Um, and then, you know, you would wake up and you would leave for the next city the next day. So it was... Did you get to actually see the cities? Sometimes you would. Sometimes you would have, a, like, at least a few hours. You could go on, I don't know, a run or something or, like, walk around and just, you know, at least witness what was going on in the city. So in that sense, it was cool. But it's not like, you know, you get a day of vacation and you're going to go travel around this city. Right. Cool. So Um, did you like anything on that journey that said, I want to do this or help you clarify what you want to do? Just traveling and just being away and seeing new places every day. Yeah. Um, I think that I thought that that was something that I could do. I, as I did it more, I didn't think I could just continuously do like that fast pace. I mean, the fast pace wasn't so much. It was just so much not having so much time to myself. Okay. Um, well, you were on a bus. Right. right. You, I was on this bus with 11 other people who are all, you know, got 10 bunk beds and then a, a lay down couch in the back. Um, so it was just kind of hard time to find time for yourself and like do all these things. So, yeah, I mean, you work so closely with these people. You're bound to get on each other's nerves a little bit. But yeah. Um, what happened? So where, what happened after the bus then? Where'd you end up? I don't remember. After that job? Yeah. So I still stuck with the company. They actually ended up putting on a play. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. yeah that was so cool. I was an actor <laughs> at some <laughs> point in my life. Um, it was called Pray the Gay Away. It was put on by these two twins. This car twins. The car twins. I remember that. Yeah. In Michigan. Um, I guess. Yeah. Them up. It, right. It was, uh, it was based off of their book. So it was a lot of fun. I've never acted or anything in a play before I got paid for it. So I consider myself an actor. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, but no, it was, that was an awesome experience too. I've never wanted to be like an actor. So I wasn't like super nervous going on stage or anything. Cause I wasn't like, Oh my gosh, if I mess this up, I'm never going to be able to do anything else in this. So it was more like just a fun thing to do. Oh, that's kind of good insight though on it. Yeah. Um, it was, I mean, obviously it was kind of, I have, I do have like troubles performing in front of people because I also play piano. And even like if I try to learn a new song and I'll play it in front of my family, I get super nervous. So I think this was like a, it was a different way of performing for people that was just like, I don't know. It was a a different experience and I just, it was, it was so much fun. Yeah. Do you think you could do something like that again? If you got offered? Oh, absolutely. Did you Um, ever at one point want to pursue that just because I thought you were good at it, honestly. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah, you saw it. Thank you. (laughs) We got Um, it for free. Don't fly yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I could, 
Honestly, I have thought about it a lot. Um, if I decided to go back, they actually reached out to me again because because of COVID. Actually, that's why I left that job. Um, there was nothing in the entertainment industry, so I was like, you know, this isn't viable right now. I need to make money. So let's get back to um, if you didn't want to do that. What happened after that then? Um, after no, okay, I mean no, to cut you off. That's fine. No, that I mean that wasn't what I wanted to do. So um, after that, then my good friend Zach, he owns um part of a weed company the cannabis company that i work for now and he was he was generous generous enough to offer me um to come look at the facility you know meet the people that work there see if this was something i was interested in um and i went there and i was it was a very impressive facility and the people that worked there seemed very cool the culture that they created was amazing honestly it was a, and it's a different work environment than just you know a I'm not an office type person. I don't want to work in an office. I don't want to sit behind a computer all day yeah, I get that. for eight hours a day. And then, you know, I, what I would even be doing, I have no idea. So it just fit with my personality, I think, very well. And, um, yeah, so I talked with the people there, and they were like, yeah, if you want a job, come on, work over here. And then I've been doing that for the past year and, like, a couple months now. Yeah, so now that's why we're back in Lansing today, because that's where Mitch works at this weed. It's a, not a dispenser. It's a factory? It's a grow. It's the cultivation. So we actually grow the weed there, and then um, that's where we harvest it, and then we send it out. Okay, so what is your... I have no idea what that looks like. What are you actually physically doing when you go in? Well, you're a manager now, right? Right, so I started off as a plant technician. This was this company was only like six months old by the time I got there. Um, I have no previous knowledge of weed, no previous grow experience. So I started off as a plant technician, um, and I just basically learned everything I knew from the people who have been working there. I mean, these people have been growing weed for 10 years at least now. Do you know if it was illegal before? It was. I mean, they were, okay. yeah. I mean, obviously they were growing. Like I don't know if it was how far before. back medical went and where it was legal. Oh, yeah. Well, that I don't know. Okay, um, I was curious. But I'm sure that they were doing it. Like, you can't grow for 10 years and it have been legal. Yeah. So they just had a, a lot of ex um, knowledge and training that they just passed down to me. And it was, I learned pretty quickly. Um, I'm so generally, like, so like, what are you actually doing? Right. So, um, well, I was just like explaining how I got to I'm where sorry. I am. <laughs> sorry. So I started as a plant tech and now I'm a cultivation section leader. So we have 13 grow rooms with like 600 plants per room. Oh, wow. Um, and so I am in charge of four of those rooms and I have a team of six people that I work with. Um, so a day to day looks like I have to get there an hour before my team, before our lights turn on just to get our environmental checks. Um, so what are environmental checks? Environmental is light, humidity humidity, carbon in the air, um, and just making sure that our plants are not dead. <laughs> okay. So if you, I have a question for that. I'm going to ask you so many questions. This is so interesting. If something goes out with the power, they have like hella generators. It has not happened yet. I don't know. I, I, I think, well, so it's not necessarily like that. Like the lights don't always have to be on. The lights are on a 12 hour light cycle or a, or a 16 hour light cycle because in veg, before they're producing any flower or anything, you want them under 16 hours of light. It's either 16 or 18. It's one of the two. Um, and then the other hours of darkness. And then in flower, you want 12 hours of light and 12 hours of darkness. If the power goes out for a day, your plants aren't going to okay. go crazy and be like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. So they're very adaptable. Um, it's just, you know, you just got to you know, give them what they want and they do what you want. It's, it's very, it's, it's not very complicated to grow. It's just in that quantity, it is a lot of work. Okay. So you check their vital sign, your, their plant vitals for lack of a better word. <laughs> Basically you put the blood pressure thing around them and, and then tickle else? their leaves. <laughs> <It's hot. laughs> so what else do you have to do? Like, do you trim them? I just don't know. What you, yeah. I don't well, garden or anything. So I don't yeah. know what you do. Well, so like, I don't know if it's basic gardening or whatever, but like, we, based on the stage that the plants are in, there's different pruning and different things that the plants need. So like we have to mix up uh, nutrient tanks every day. So we have 250 gallon reservoir tanks, um, four per room because we have like eight tables and it goes all, well, it doesn't matter. But so yeah, we have to make sure that we're mixing the proper nutrients and that they're getting the proper nutrients for that time in their life. Wow. 
or else that does sound complicated to me. It is. Well, because like, you know, at a specific stage in their life, they're going to require more nitrogen or more phosphorus. And then you're going to also have to make sure that the pH of the soil is correct because the nutrient uptake at say a lower pH is, you know, a lower pH phosphorus is going to be taken up, but nitrogen will. And then at the end of the life cycle, you have to increase the soil pH because phosphorus is uptaken at a higher pH. And then, so after you get to the point where it's ready to harvest, do you guys do that? What's weed that's ready to harvest look like? Is it already in nugs? Is that? Yeah. So it has the whole, so it's basically the flower is the fruit of the, of the plant. And so that's the what. The nug that you smoke, right? Yeah. I don't yeah. know what it's called. The flower? Yeah. It's okay. the flower, but it's like, you know, it's like an apple. It's like the fruit. All right. So, um, that's what you want. So yeah, they're all fully developed. Um, you have to actually at the last two weeks before you harvest, you just flush them with RO water to get out all of the nutrients that you pumped in there. Is it RO water? Reverse osmosis water. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, cool. Yeah. That makes um, sense. So yeah, you want to pump that through just to get all the nutrients out. And then they're actually using up the like nutrients that they're stored in there. And it produces more of those like tri- trichomes and terpenes and all that stuff. All right. And then do you guys, when you harvest it, is it so wet? Oh yeah. It has to dry for like two weeks in a cold room. And then you put that. So after you guys do that, you know where you just send it out all over the state. Well, then we have a processing room where they trim it all up. Um, and then they'll, yeah, they'll send it out. to. How strong does it smell in that room? Oh, it's strong. Like can you breathe? (laughs) Uh, yeah. And honestly, it smells good. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, it just, it's not more overpowering than, you know, just the weed itself. If you stuck your nose in a container. Okay. So what else are you doing on in the day to day other than just kind of taking it? Is there um, anything else? Well, yeah. So now my role as, um, a cultivation section leader is mostly just delegating tasks and making sure that everything is getting done. Um, while also, you know, helping them out with the tasks and working with them in order to get those done. Okay. So like what other tasks are there? Um, I know I'm drilling you with questions. No, yeah. I'm all very curious. Yeah, it's, well, so it's, it has to be very sanitary. Um, so you have to make sure that everything is clean. So there's a lot of cleaning involved just because there's a lot of pests that you can transport to other rooms that you don't want to. So they get in the building? Yeah. So they can just cling to your clothes and they'll come in and then they'll go in the rooms and spread. Oh my gosh. So we have an IPM team that like helps with that, but. What's an IPM team? Um, Internal pest management? It might be, actually. Okay. <laughs> I think that's what it stands for. Uh-huh. That sounds right. I'm not going to question so, it. I just imagine the scene from uh, Monsters Inc. where you walk in with a sock on your back. Yeah, that's <laughs> no, that's basically what it is. Um, but yeah, so there's just a lot of protocol involved. So you're not trans or like contaminating mold from one room and taking it to another. Okay. Um, because then when you s- you have to send this out to get it tested because now it's federally regulated or not federally, a uh, state regulated. So FDA test that? No, it's a state regulation. So who, t- who's testing it? Do you know? Uh, just, um, uh, SDA. No, it's just a lab. <laughs> okay. Some lab that's that cool, by, though. regulated by the state. Yeah. That's so. good because they've been, I think they've been putting uh what's that really bad fentanyl in all sorts of different drugs. I don't know. If I, it's in I don't think you can put it in weed. I don't know either. I I, don't. It's a liquid. No, I thought it was a powder. You might be right. Because, I mean, right. if they can put it in, like, molly and stuff. Yeah, it is a powder, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. I've we'll never had that. it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, yeah, so it's it's a lot of hard work. And it's – there's so okay, so there's different th- – it's called lollipopping. So lollipopping is just cutting off all of these lower branches that aren't reaching the canopy because they're just going to get blocked out by the light anyway, and they're not going to produce very well. Um, and you want to basically just shape the plate, the plant into what kind of looks like what a lollipop would be like a stick. And then you have the head on top. That sounds satisfying. Yeah. It, it's honestly very, very therapeutic work. Um, it's not, I don't know. It's, I mean, I don't I used to smoke a lot of weed um but not as much anymore I when like you, when you worked there or no no before like in high school like oh, yeah, before yeah, sure. you know and then I got this job and I was like you know I don't I'm not really passionate about weed I don't really care about weed but I think that I mean it's it's cool to make a product regardless of what it is and having it be a plant and it's a living thing and you have to give it the proper 
nutrients and it needs to live and like you know the light and you have to change everything it's very cool it's like raising a kid have you ever considered a kid or a dog <laughs> I <was gonna> ask. <laughs> no i can't i travel so too much you, for those do you find it meaningful though like is are you hating going to work every day no not at all i am very happy honestly with the work that i've been doing um it's i don't i'm not like rewarded by it but like it feels good to go in, work with a team and accomplish all you have to do in a day because there's so, we have a team of six and when you have to go in and cut up 648 plants in a room in a day, it's intimidating, but it's, it feels so good just to get it done and knowing that what you're doing is going to produce a better product for your consumers who you know, need it for so many different reasons. Um, so do you think weed is actually medicine for some yeah. people? Oh, absolutely. Um, I was just talking to, um, one of my coworkers today and she was talking about her emotional connection to weed because even like she has a dog who's had is, has a bunch of seizures and she started just putting a little bit of, um, uh, CBD in it's dog food and it hasn't had a seizure in five years. Wow. Yeah. So I, it's, I, there are definitely, definitely medicinal purposes. I mean, even people use it for pain. People use it for epilep epilepsy. I think that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, they actually have been fine. Yeah. They've been doing, yeah. they've literally been giving kids weed because it's right. good for seizures. And I hate that when people are like, oh, it's, you know, it's a drug. It, everything's a drug. If you think about it that way, yeah. you know, it's, it's medicine. So let's get into, what do you think about psych meds? Just out of curiosity compared to, or, or med, I guess let's do big pharma, not so specifically psych meds, but in relation to weed, because everyone does say it's such a bad thing we don't want in our neighborhood, but then they're on literally 30 prescriptions and there's an opioid crisis as no one's talking about. So Right. Um, well, I definitely don't think Big Pharma cares about addictive substances or any, no. anything in that sort. They're loving Actually, it off the do, money they make. They care because they want to make sure it's addictive. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I personally, because I don't struggle with any sort of like mental health severely. I mean, obviously, you know, it's the occasional depression or anxiety or whatever you're going through. Um, but unless it's something that actually cannot be like, if, if you have to take medicine for it, yes, I, that's fine. But if it's something that you can work out in your life through like, you know, anxiety, you can talk to somebody about it, which I get it. You know, anxiety is hard, but like, you can talk to you can talk to people about it and like you can use other resources other than just relying on a on a drug to get through that and i agree that the same thing with weed like if you're using weed as a crutch for your anxiety that might not be the best solution if you're just avoiding what's causing the anxiety. Yeah, that's, I think that's the problem a lot of times with weed, too, is people use that that argument that it's like alcohol. You know, people drink a lot of the times to numb their emotions and numb their feelings, not to ease their pain. You know, you don't go and have a beer because your leg hurts. <laughs> right. Um, or they use it as a social excuse. Everyone smokes weed. You know, so I, th I think there's arguments on both sides. But I think that you're right. It does have medicinal purposes. And I haven't right. I haven't tried CBD. Have you tried anything into that? Did your company make any of those products? Like, how, what's the difference? I don't know if you know, but what's the difference between CBD and THC? Can you take THC out and then the products of CBD? Or yeah, I think it's it's. Um, I think THC is the more like I don't, I, that's I, the weed one. That's the one. Yeah, that you right. That's like it affects you more in, in that way. And I think the CBD is more. It's a more calming. Okay. Effect. Yeah, I haven't tried the CBD stuff. I had I an edible either. a couple week, or literally last weekend. I and I hated it. <laughs> so it was ten milligrams, and it was so strong. And I went on a plane, and it was just oh, it was violently high. So I didn't like that at all. Yeah, I would try CBT. <laughs> Edibles have not had a good history. Uh -huh. um, so what what do you see yourself now? You have a four year in biology, and you you originally want to do marine biology, right? That was the plan. Okay, yes. So <laughs> Or so, okay, well, I went into biology thinking I was going to do some sort of research, whether it was marine biology or some sort of like research pathology, just, you know, in different diseases and like trying to figure out different ways to m m mitigate them or, you know, stop them. Um, prevent. I, right. Prevent. I, like I always mitigate. thought that was super interesting. Um, but have you seen the machine that zaps, uh, dire directly zaps diseases now? Like it. I don't know if it alters the DNA in them so they kill themselves or something like that. What? It's a machine. It sends a laser or some kind of a coating or it's amazing. I'll have to look it up after. I, I don't not, know about it. That sounds very interesting. Mm -hmm. Sorry, go on. Wow. Um, no, that's cool. Um, 
yeah, I just, I don't know. I went to school and I, after I took the year off, I was like, I, I have no idea what my issue was is that when I went to Oakland university, I was also working at the gym and I got the free membership and I didn't want to give that up. So I never did any internships or anything. And that led to me not having, I took a bunch of labs, but I didn't have any like outside lab experience. And okay. so when I was applying, I was like, well, I, I don't have any experience. So that's not your fault though. This is the problem I'm having too with clinical psychology. I have to, with clinical psychology, I have to have research experience to get accepted into a doctorate program. And even like a master's, they want, it's not required, but they like it, especially if you're going to clinical psych. No one tells you that. Unless you, I went on to my Oakland Community College, I went to community college, and then I'm doing online school. And no one once ever told me, you have to have research experience to get in this field. Right. So now I'm at the damn point where I'm like six months out, I had to already apply for the doctorate, and I have no research experience. So uh, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm, it, they pretty much tell you you're not going to get in. So I'm just frustrated with that whole system. Right. I think people need to talk about that more. Like, you need research. If you want to go into science or anything, you need fucking research experience to go pass a bachelor. Um, that's my rant, but that, <laughs> no, because it pisses me off. There's a bunch of people who've been saying that. And it's like, why is that a code? Why don't they just explicitly tell you on the right. doctor? You want to go on a doctorate? Here's the requirements. Why isn't there like a paper somewhere? Anyways, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, well, I actually, I met somebody at a work thing the other day. He was a friend of a coworker. Um, and he also had a four year in bio and he, the only lab experience he had was working or not working. He, the, the labs that he did for class, um, and he was actually used that to apply for a lab job for a um, weed concentrate lab where they make, they press the THC down, they make concentrates okay. for the thing. So he was able to use that to actually get into a lab there and have lab experience. So he's, is it, he used lab experience to get lab experience? Yes. Well, the, the lab experience he had was only from the classes that he took. So he didn't have any outside, like, uh, oh, yeah. I interned at a lab. But he's not like an education. He's not in further education now. He's just in more lab experience. He's working in a lab now okay. for like he's making money. Okay. So it's a job for him now. Yes. Oh, good. Okay. So he got a job. With yeah. So there are still things you can do. I mean, I, yeah, I'm just impressed with the education system. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole nother thing. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Because I'd have to go back and backtrack and get lab experience now at a university that I'm not even attending. And it's like, I just have no desire. I have right. no desire to go do that for a year and then possibly get in. I'd rather just get my shit done, be credible, and then read a lot afterward. And I'm really serious about that. <laughs> like, no, you can learn so much on your own just from yeah, books and stuff. I agree. And the only problem is the accreditation. Yeah. So that's where I'm struggling too. Yeah. But, you know, I get it. I get it. You should be licensed, but there should be... Uh, it's like the licensing hasn't caught up to the availability of technology and, and uh, options to learn. Mm -hmm. So that's frustrating to me. So yeah. where do you, I'm going to get back to your, um, your weed grow. Where do you see yourself going in this field? Why would you keep working here and move? And what, what do you want to get out of it? What's, so what's uh, meaningful enough to you to want to build a life doing it, correct? Yes. Well, so I've always spent, you know, my life drifting through and I was like, Oh, I can do this and I can do that. And now everything we find, something's going to fall into my lap. I'll mm -hmm. make connections somewhere and that'll be enough. Um, and so I was giving like 20% of my attention to like five different things and I was, and I wasn't getting anywhere. So I found something I'm good at it. The people there are amazing. The company's amazing. So I figured why not give a hundred percent of something of my time for, a few years and just see what happens. And that's and literally a Jordan Peterson quote. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Dev devote yourself 100% to one thing and see what happens. Yeah. And so I, um, I, I started as a plant tech with no knowledge and within a year, it wasn't even a year that I was working with this company and I was already a section leader, which is, I'm, it's my first salary. I started hourly and this is my first salary Woo. job. Woop woop. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's been amazing. And it, it's this company is growing so rapidly that it's it's it would be stupid of me to stop where I'm at right now. Also, um, if this weed uh, deal ever goes federally legal and all of these places start opening up all over the country, I can literally I can move wherever I want to. I can work wherever I want to. So I think that is also a, a very good incentive for me because I, I don't want to stay in Lansing, Michigan for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. So I think that having those opportunities and just having the knowledge getting in now and being able to create a knowledge base at the beginning, at the infancy of an industry, I think at the point where I can develop uh, 
uh, or just be like a professional in this field at 10 years from now, I'll be at the top of my game. I'll be, you know, the head dog. <laughs> he said the head dog. <laughs> Did not expect you to in a sense like that. I didn't either. <laughs> but, um, okay, so the next thing I want to ask you is me and Mitch have always had this desire to leave Michigan. And I can't find out if that's like an idiosyncratic, how do you say this, individual to just our situation or what. But can you explain like that feeling of not wanting to be here? Where do you think it comes from? And explain what that feels like. Yeah, I don't know. It's... I always describe Michigan as a settle down, raise a family. It's a beautiful place to live. It is. But it's not, it's, it's the Midwest. It's not really, you know, when you're gay and you're in a small town, there's really not that many people that are like you around you. So it makes it very difficult for you to want to stay in that environment. So I, I get that. I think I get that too. Also, yeah. the winters here are just brutal. Yeah, the winters are brutal. You can't tan. No speedo lines. Oh so. my god, no! I just really don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like all of my siblings, they want to stay in Michigan, twenty minutes away from where they grew up, and that's just—I've never had that desire to do that. So where do you want to go? This is so. I, in twenty nineteen, I ran away, away to Barcelona for a year, and I will not stop talking about it. But he that, won't. He went abroad, everybody. Yes, I have abroad. You never know for a gay guy. But um, yeah, so I've always. Had that feeling too that I was just missing. I had like FOMO living in my own home. Why do I have FOMO in my own home? Right. So where do you want to go? Where do you think is better than this? I loved Spain. Yeah, I, I visited him in Spain. and it was, <laughs> He made me very ill in Spain. <laughs> I think it was the best two weeks he ever spent in Spain, <laughs> I would like to add. Um, I don't know. I don't, that's the hard part because I don't have a place that in my mind I'm like, that's where I want to be. That's right. where I have to be. It's torture, right? Because yeah. I, I went to Portland last week and that wasn't it. Miami wasn't it right well so that's why when I was on that tour job it was amazing because I got to see a whole bunch of different cities and like experience you know at least for a second what it would be like to work there and kind of live there um did any catch your eye none of them really stuck I get it I went so I did a three-week car travel around the world in 2019 before I went to Spain or 2018 and nothing I went to Atlanta St. Louis New uh Las Vegas Nevada, the Four Corners, all that area, Wyoming. Oh my God, there's a missing 10. St. Louis was cool. Not St. Louis, uh, Baton Rouge, not Baton Rouge, the other one in Louisiana. New Orleans? Yes, New Orleans. <laughs> New Orleans. No, it was cool, but I couldn't live there. No, it's too, it's too go, go, go. Yeah, it was, which is, I mean, okay. Isn't I, that what you want? Yeah, no, that is what I want, I guess. It was dirty. The dirt, yeah. And floods. <laughs> Who wants that? Your house? Uh, yeah. So this is why I like Barcelona because it was a small big city and it wasn't an American big city. American big cities are just freaking dirty. Yeah. But you know, I'm not there's, to there's no thing. public bathrooms over there and they make you pay for water. Yeah, they did. I know that really bothered me. At a restaurant. I can't do it. No, <laughs> there, there's decent cities in America. I don't know. I'm just very confused where I want to be. I am too. Physically in life. It's hard. And it's just, I feel like it's such a, I feel like I need to be established in a job first before I can find a place to live. And I feel like I need to have a job and a place to live before I can find a good relationship. So I'm kind of putting these things in order when I don't think I should be doing that. I think a lot of people do that. I do too. But and I, I, a lot of people don't though, I feel like. So I don't know what is, I don't think there's necessarily a right way to do it. I think that's the way I'm trying to do it. Maybe I need to switch how I'm doing that because it's not working and I've been doing it for so long. Yeah. I don't know, a long time. <laughs> uh, have you tried listening to your gut and meditating? No, I haven't. Well, also, apparently, I have a thing for men in relationships. <laughs> Uh-oh. I didn't say that coming, honestly. <laughs> no, it's not my fault. Huh? This is this, this is the drifting podcast yeah. today. This is not good. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so we'll I do... Cut that. Can we cut so, that out? No, I'm not cutting that out. That was awesome. You're very open and honest, and people need to hear it. Damn it. So I want to talk a little bit about mental health. Yes, we should. So I think we're probably the worst best friends ever because I've never really talked to you about mental health at all. Ever. Even coming out, I don't think we ever talked about. No, we didn't. Yeah. We we like to cover up our humor. Love, yeah, our, oh, yes, our pain. With, well, not our pain. Our, we like to use humor as a, I don't know. We use humor all the time. I would say a coping mechanism. Yeah. I would say a passive coping mechanism. Right. But also to be like sweet and friendly. Yeah, for sure. I feel very close around you. Yeah. <laughs> I just want you to know that. Right. <laughs> He's right behind me. <laughs> so, um, okay, but seriously, I, you know all about that really rough depression I had in 2019. Yeah, so I thought he was faking it for a long time. Yeah, so I want to talk about that. So you mentioned we were eating pizza before. This is hanging out and talking, kind of warming up for this podcast. And Mitch mentioned that he didn't really be, used to believe in mental health. I didn't. When I was, I mean, 
I don't know saying, how long ago. I'm not saying that's like a radical statement because I think a lot of people feel that way. And I get yeah. it. I actually get it a lot. So. No. Uh, uh, a while ago, I just, you know, I was like, I just don't, I don't understand it. I never went through it. When you were going through it, you were like, this is like the worst. I can't believe it. I was like, just try to find the light in it, dude. Like, yeah. come on. It's know, not that hard. Tell, that's the worst thing to tell someone too. I know. And I, I realized that because, um, I mean, when you are going through something and somebody's like, oh, well, just don't think that way. You're like, well, no shit. Not don't think that way. I'm trying, but it's just not working. Yeah. So there was a long time that I was just, I didn't understand it. Cause I was like, oh, you know, like mental health, every your, your emotions are a choice. You know, how you feel is a choice. I don't think that you have to necessarily, if you're not happy now, you can't wait for something to make you happy. You have to choose to be happy every day. And I, I honestly, I believe that still, I believe that mental health is, there are issues that go out there, but I believe that you have to choose to be happy. So there, yeah, you can, you can choose your attitude is about, so there's a famous, uh, quote by Victor Frankl. He says, uh, when all is taken from a man, he has one choice left, the choice to choose his attitude in any given search, search, set, of situ- <laughs> set of circumstances. <laughs> so like, no, but you're right. You can choose your attitude, right? So, no. but it's still not easy. And when you're depressed, you're not thinking clearly and there's no way that you can choose to be happy, but you can try to choose a different perspective or attitude in life. Right. With depression also, there's usually at least one to five to 20 things that are going wrong in your life that you're fully aware of. Usually, typically, it doesn't typically come out of nowhere. So trying to tackle those with small achievable goals each day and big overreaching goals toward, toward those problems is a really good thing to do. Um, for anyone who might be going through something rough, like have goals and then fix things that you know need to be fixed in your life. Or at least stop doing the stupid shit you know you need to stop doing. So that's where my, I have compassion for depression, but only to an extent to where, you know, you need to take agency over your life at a certain point as much as you can. Yeah, I think that's what I struggled with to understand um, was just how you let it get so far to the point where it's like, like I've, I've gone through depression. I haven't had severe depression or like severe anxiety, but I experience it like, you know, everyone else. Um, and it's just, you know, a few days. And then after that, I was like, what am I doing? Like, yeah, this- that might not be clinical depression though. Well, no, I, that's what I said. I didn't have clinical or like severe yeah. depression. It's just like, a, a you know, Oh, I, I don't know. I didn't hit my PR at the gym today or something. Oh my God. That's not actually something I'd be depressed <laughs> over. You said some shit today. <laughs> it just sounds so funny. No, I mean, that's just like little things like, you know, things that will just make you like, like, why is this happening? Yeah. But you know, you just, it, yeah, I don't know. So, so I do want to talk to you. So you, no, but no, it's fine. I'll cut that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is fine. It's hard when you're doing these podcasts too, because I'm forcing people to think, to articulate things instantly that they've never really had to articulate yeah. before. Even if you thought about it a lot, you're like, whoa, I have to put this in words and that's hard. Right. Um, that's why I like doing it though, because I get this raw first audition version of everyone's opinions and I think it's cool. It's not rehearsed. Like it's really though. It's good. It's so genuine feeling. Um, so you did tell me that maybe you possibly had issues with body image. Oh yes. Okay. So that mental thing. Yes. Body dysmorphia. I absolutely 120% have that. You have. Okay. So could you, so for anyone who doesn't know body dysmorphia is just that just uh, thinking you look differently than you do, uh, but it's always negative. I can't, it's not positive if it's disorder. So it is a psychological disorder. Um, and uh, yeah. So what is that like for you? Um, I don't know. Well, I work out pretty regularly. Um, and so most would say I have a pretty decent body. He has a nice body. (laughs) Like there's no question. Um, but I still like when I look in a mirror, I still see myself as the first day I started working out. Okay. That's nuts to me. Like I, I, I see a little, okay. I see a little progress, but I still see myself very, scrawny, very skinny, like just unproportioned and ugly, to be honest. So let's talk about when did that start? Do you think? Honestly, just when I started going to the gym more frequently, I would just see everybody. I probably seriously started going to the gym every day when I was 19 or 20. Okay. So about four or five years. Yeah. So I've been working out for seriously for four or five years now. Okay. So it's been five years. And then like, what other symptoms other than just, I don't know, what else do you do that you've noticed? Like a lot of mirror standing. Um, I, I do notice, I do catch myself looking in the mirror a lot, comparing myself to others at the gym. Um, I have a lot of 
I don't know if this is body dysmorphia, but I just have a lot of issues with certain facial features, like my nose and my oh, That is body teeth. dysmorphia, too. Yeah. It, okay. Oh, it's not just the body. It's definitely your face. Okay. Too. Yeah. Features. So I'll, I'll notice myself like I will position myself in a way so nobody can see my side profile. Um, I try not to smile as much in photos. I don't like photos being taken. I really don't. Either I'm only in group photos, usually. Um, or if someone's like, Hey, let's take a photo. What, so um, what feelings do you get when you look in the mirror typically? Uh, disgust. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just like, ugh, like, I don't know. And I, I just don't understand. And I actually genuinely think that people are just giving me fake compliments when they're like, Oh wow. Like you actually look really good or like, you're so hot. Like I just, I don't believe that. Um, sorry. And I don't know. I just, not that I'm not like. I don't trust the person or anything. Right. I just, I just don't believe it a hundred percent. Yeah. I'm not going to diagnose you, but that would technically be part of a disorder <laughs> too, is not cynicism towards any compliments or anything. Oh yeah. I don't, I, I am I'm so bad at accepting compliments. Yeah. So yeah. five years has been going on. Have you ever, has anything ever made it better or has it gotten worse? Like how that's really um, interesting. Because I don't, I've tried just to be like, you know, certain days like, no, like you actually like there are some days I'll catch myself in the mirror and I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> and then it'll like, like I will like look good and then I'll like switch and instantly be like, oh, like what the fuck is that? Like, where did that come from? Why does that look like that? What's your typical satisfaction for your, your image out of 10? Would you say? Um, probably right after I get done working out and my body's super pumped up and I'm like, oh wow, like I can actually notice a difference. And then, you know, somebody else will walk in the locker room and I'm like, oh well, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. <laughs> okay. So I was going to ask you too, um, social media and how does that affect? Not good. I know. So I, most of my Instagram feed and I know it's based off of what you look at, but I look at a lot of workout routines and just like attractive men in general. Um, so that's all my Instagram feed is, is just like these muscular fit, 12 pack guys and like just workout routines. And I'm like, I'm doing all of this stuff. Like, why don't I look like that? Um, and then I don't know. It's just, it's very annoying to see that because I, I know personally that there are millions of people in this world. And that is the 1% that you're seeing on Instagram. Oh, it's like, and it's literally yeah. just showing it to you back to back to back. And you're looking at this and you're like, these 16 year olds look like they're 24 now and they're jacked. <laughs> and you're like, what the hell? I get that. I get that. I've seen that. I'm like, wait a minute. When I was 16, I had transition glasses. Yeah. <laughs> literally. Neck strap. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was embarrassing how I used to dress. Yeah. So kid, kids are more sexualized now. It's so it's, weird. It's uncomfortable, right? Yeah. I just, it is wild. And at like 15, they're 16. They're still kids to me. Like I'm only 26, <laughs> but they're still kids. They are kids. Um, so yeah, that's, I think that's totally accurate. What about your own posting? How does that relate to the dysmorphia? Do you think? Oh, my posting? Yeah. I, I think I, because if anyone saw your posts online, they would never expect that you had body issues ever. Probably not. I mean, I do. Well, I think that's why I posted to try to uh -huh. get, you know, that dopamine or whatever to be like, Oh wow, you do look good. And then I'm like, all right, maybe I do. But then, you know, you post a picture and it's like, you know, not a lot of likes and you're like, Oh, whatever. Yeah. Have you ever yeah. gone to therapy? No, I have not. Okay. Cause I was curious cause we did. So we were talking really briefly before we started this again and we looked at body dysmorphia, um, cause it got brought up and they say you can go to cognitive behavioral therapy for it and they have specific I, body image therapies for it. I just think it's kind of cool. Yeah. No, I do believe, I do believe therapy is a amazing tool to use and it's good. I just don't want to spend the money. No, I told them in the last episode, I feel the same way. Cause it would be at least $50 for me to see someone yeah. a week, which is, I could do it. But for some reason, I'm just frustrated. I need to break that. I need to break the egg and go do it. Yeah. Um, that's how I feel. I did go. I think it was because I went when I was not well in 2019. I did try to go get therapy for two sessions. And it was such a horrid experience that it just totally turned me off from it. Um, and now I work in the psych hospital and it hasn't been a better experience in mental health. I just don't trust the current system very much. So I need to break that and go. Um, but maybe it would be beneficial for you too. I'm not, sure it would be. Yeah. Not that you have to go. But No, I know. I just, I've also been trying to. Do, do that thing like work on it by myself and like yeah and you can do that to an extent yeah i've i have over the past five years definitely developed a very unhealthy relationship with the gym and how it, it's not about the health anymore it's specifically mm -hmm. about aesthetics and making myself look better for other people it's not for me anymore so i've been really trying to rework how i 
I view the gym, what my goals are in the gym and why I'm doing it. And it yeah. has to be for me, for health. And because I, I love to do, I used to love the gym and it's yeah. just, it's been very difficult to go. And you know, I just, you think a break would help? Um, no, I'm only asking, it would, probably, <laughs> it would probably be super hard for you. I'm only asking because after we went to Miami, me and Mitch in March and we had a, just a, a lot, it was a lot, you know, party city, Miami, a lot of gay parties and stuff. And it was fun, but I came back and I had canceled my gym membership to move and I never ended up moving. So I never got it again, but I've just been running. It's been a beautiful summer of running and doing cardio outside and pushups at home. And I feel better about my body than I have. Literally remember last year we were going to the gym every single day and doing that. Yeah. I feel better about my body now and I'm not in as good a shape as I was. And that was just so weirdly inverse reaction that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Well, maybe I do need to take a break and just kind of refocus on how to work out because I feel like I've just been pushing myself so hard. It's actually been having the reverse effect. It does that. You do yeah. have a point where that is exactly what happened. Right. Because honestly, I feel like for the amount of work I put in for now, I should look different. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe I do. I don't know. I actually physically do not know how I look. Yeah. I guess you wouldn't. <laughs> if, if it is mafia. Uh, yeah. I like, I actually, I, looking at pictures literally from four years ago to now, I do not see any difference. I, I cannot see a difference. So his, it must've gotten worse then, right? I'm assuming. I'm sure it has. <laughs> Would you consider, so technically in psychology, it's only a disorder once it starts creating disorder in your life. Do you think it's doing that? Uh, no, because I haven't like, cause you might be like borderline. Yeah. I haven't like suck out any changes to do like, you know, surgery or like, you know, okay. I haven't, I've been tempted, but I haven't done any sort of steroids or anything. Okay. Um, I, yeah, so I just really fast. I looked up before this episode that people do get surgery when they have body dysmorphia and they said the, the effects do not, it's like putting a bandaid over this, this wound. You need to go and get that psychologically cured because all the physical changes you can do aren't going to do anything. Just like my, most psych disorders. When you think it's physical eating disorders are the same way you need to heal the mind, not the right. So I don't, I definitely need to put work into it. Um, and I think I've just been distracting myself with lots of other things. That's okay. That's, <laughs> we all numb. Right. Exactly. I'm on sober October right now because <laughs> I've been drinking too much probably and vaping and I get it. We, we all numb. It's the human mind's escape from having to deal. All right. Hey guys. So this is kind of a weird time to cut off the episode, but um, I had about five or six more minutes of me and Mitch got into talking about monogamy or polygamy. Um, but the audio for some reason was kind of shoddy. So I didn't even want to put it in because you almost couldn't hear what was going on. But the kind of end goal of the argument that we hit was that we, we've never seen polygamy or open relationships really work. Um, so I know Mitch mentioned he was into, uh, guys in relationships kind of briefly by that. I think he just meant, uh, he's had some relationships where he's been seeing people and then they told him that they were in relationships and it was open and, I don't know. I've seen things like that a lot in my life and it always seems to get very messy. Uh, I'm a big fan of marriage. I think committing to someone and actually getting it legalized is the pressure you need to put on each other to, to be with each other and kind of transform. So that was pretty much the end of the episode. Um, if you guys have any questions or comments or concerns, please like contact me. My Instagram is at driftproofpodcast. I've gotten very little feedback. Um, in the last month or so. So I'm not really sure how this is being received. If anyone's getting anything positive out of these episodes, I really hope they are. So yeah, just let me know. You know, I have Instagram. I have YouTube at Andrew Cipriano. If you search my YouTube, I literally have some mental health videos and stuff on there. And you can see a little bit more about my life. Uh, I have a website at andrewcipriano.com. Like find a way to contact me because I really would love some feedback on future episodes you'd like or future videos for YouTube you'd like me to do any kind of content I can try to provide um, that would be beneficial. Uh, give me a heads up. So thank you guys so much for listening. I will see you again next Monday with episode 12 of the Drift Proof Podcast. You guys have a good day.